I am I now am, recording. I am also recording. So, what do you have to tell me? <laughs> so, you're the background on my phone because I'm in love with you. Mm-hmm. And someone who I used to fuck uh, saw the back of my phone. And mm-hmm. uh, he had previously seen you on Tinder when you were in town. And was like, oh, that's a nice picture of Zahana. <laughs> <laughs> sucking babes and welcome back to summer twilight book club the podcast where two people who have run out of creative ways to lie to their parents about their <laughs> vampire social work podcast analyze the four horniest books of their teenage years i'm sahana and i'm kat uh for those of you who are new or newer here thanks for joining us and also thank you to all of you who've been on the discord channel over the last couple of weeks yes. there's been some wild fucking yes. shit on the discord i finally learned what discord is uh, and so in the Discord channel, some of the wild shit has included a neural network generated Twilight slash Sonic the Hedgehog crossover fan fiction. Yes, I did just say those words out loud in that order. And no, I do not have an explanation for them. <laughs> um, maybe if we're lucky and we really hate ourselves enough by the end of this episode, we will read you some of the sins that the bots have written us. But then again, maybe we will just save that for the Patreon. Which, by the way, I did actually make a Patreon, but I have oh, not published it. I just did it to get in, you know, before they raise the fucking fees or whatever. So, like, maybe soon we'll actually make it so you can actually get content. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it eventually. Um. So, anyways, in honor of the first time that Stephanie Meyer ever made both adult Sahana and adult Cat have an actual emotional reaction. We have dedicated this episode solely to chapter 9, entitled Third Wheel. Which, side note, Third Wheel uh, is what I should start referring to Wheels' cat as. And double side note, if you don't know who Wheels is, then you aren't listening to enough podcasts on the Orange Groves and should definitely (laughs) self-correct. (laughs) um yes so before we get into the loaded 24 pages that are chapter 9 of new moon uh do you maybe want to let everybody know what happened in the first 200 pages of this franchise i mean i guess i can do that if people really want to understand what's going on and everything like sure which is difficult but it's worth a try so when a stephanie meyer and a lack of editing (laughs) love each other (laughs) very very much (laughs) they make a book called twilight yeah that is what happens (laughs) and in all 500 plus pages all that you really need to know is that a girl named bella moved to a town called forks to live with her dad while there she met a bunch of boring humans and a similar amount of hot sparkly vegan vampires one of those hot sparkly vegan vampires is a huge asshole named edward cullen They engage in a gross, manipulative relationship based on his lust for her blood and her lust for his possibly circumcised but definitely freezing cold dick until one day, hundreds of pages into the book, they uh, the away team for their baseball game arrives, but they fucking suck and one of them tries to eat Bella. Uh, A bunch of pretty dumb stuff happens. (laughs) Bella nearly dies, lives are destroyed, and Edward (laughs) takes Bella to prom. The end. That is how it goes. 
Then, new moon. After a summer of hot and hot, just like hot and steamy sessions of watching ESPN in the living room with her dad, uh, they finally reach Bella's birthday. Her 18th birthday. The party sucks marble balls. Like, (laughs) I... I'm so sorry. I just, I'm gonna start saying this sucks marble balls in my everyday couldn't even get that out the right the first time. My mouth got stuck in the marble. Marble balls. <laughs> marble balls. <laughs> the first time I said it as if my mouth were full of marble balls. Um, <laughs> I feel like you're... I didn't smoke enough. Because <laughs> you're... <laughs> I haven't smoked at all. I just haven't slept in like six days. So this is what happened. I love it. Anyways. <laughs> so yeah. The party sucks. Bella nearly dies. Lies were destroyed. And Edward dumps <laughs> Bella in the woods near her house. <laughs> Bella disassociates for a few months. Comes to just in time to find some old motorcycles on the side of the road. And gets her old pal Jacob to fix them up for her. Bella spends every day with Jacob riding bikes, going to the hospital, <laughs> all while secretly just chasing auditory hallucinations uh, that putting herself in danger provide. Bella is thriving. She's doing great. Oh, and also, uh, like, Jacob is maybe being groomed for a gang or something, uh, but our narrator, Bella, doesn't really focus on that part too much. Because why would she? And that brings us to chapter nine. So chapter nine is called, once again, Third Wheel. Um, and Bella starts this chapter by saying that time is tripping along much more quickly now that she's actively engaging in social activities and relationships that feel meaningful. Wild how that works. Um, she does say, however, that she can't fool herself completely and that she can't ignore the implications of her behavior. And there's actually something pretty sad to me about this because Bella's finally trying to re-engage in her life and admittedly is using some maladaptive coping strategies as she's trying to do that, but she can't even allow herself to focus on positive progress because she's still organizing her whole life and all of her behavior around Edward and the fact that he's left her. Yeah, that's... Like, literally everything she does is just centered on Edward, which is so wild. I can't even imagine when I'm currently in a relationship being that centered on anyone. It's bananas. Um, although, I mean, I guess I can. I have been there. It's just wild to imagine now. Uh, so the metaphor that she uses, uh, when she's describing what her life feels like now, though, was so dramatic. And, like, just, like, just, it's just fucking wild, and I'm just gonna read it. Um, she goes... In her head. I have to do it like I do it. I have to lean in. You always get to... So y'all don't get to see me, but whenever <laughs> whenever I do a dramatic reading something, I always like kind of like put my arms in the air and then lean forward into the mic and say it very dramatically, but only Sahana gets to witness it. It's really beautiful, and I'm so sad for all of you that you don't get to see it happen in real time. I feel very privileged. I was like a lost moon. My planet destroyed in some cataclysmic disaster movie scenario of desolation. That continued, nevertheless, to circle in a tight little orbit around the empty space behind, ignoring the laws of gravity. So, I just want to unpack this for a moment, because there's (laughs) a lot going on in here. Um, So, in this metaphor... 
Bella's the moon, right? She says that she's like a lost moon. And her planet, presumably, is Edward. So again, she's acknowledging that despite his absence and defying all logic, she is still continuing to organize her life around him. And I actually want to give Stephanie Meyer props for this metaphor because it is some of the better writing we've seen from her so far. (laughs) Like, she really is able to pinpoint how absurd it is that Bella is still, like, orbiting around something that is no longer there, defying the laws of physics. Um, The other thing, however, that this made me think of while reading was my rock, bad bitch icon, and ultimate take-no-shit-Asian-American lady role model, Christina Yang. Oh my god. Um, For those of you (laughs) who are not familiar- We have to do crossover uh, fanfic. With magnum opus Grey's Anatomy- Currently in its 15th season. Jesus. Um, Christina Yang is the baddest bitch of all. And on her last episode, which is um, verifiably the last good episode of Grey's Anatomy. uh, Don't fact check me. On her last episode, um, as she's leaving, Christina's talking to Meredith about Derek, who's Meredith's husband. And she says to Meredith about Derek, don't let what he wants eclipse what you need. He's very dreamy, but he's not the sun. You are. Which I think is good advice for all of us, but feels particularly relevant here with this, like, planet-moon metaphor. Oh my god. Um, That's what I thought of. I think everybody needs a little bit more Christina Yang in their life, Bella included. P.S. If you listen to this podcast and you love me, please buy me the Sandra O. It's an honor just to be Asian t-shirt. That exists? I need it. Yes. She said it once, and now they make t-shirts that say, it's an honor just to be Asian, Sandra O. I need it. It's important. Did I get you a um, birthday present three months I ago? Don't, I don't think that you did. Uh, so there you go. Um, this podcast just brings us gift after gift. Um, so then <laughs> Bella goes on to say that she is getting better at riding the motorcycle that Jacob built her, which I find hard to believe, but whatever <laughs> you say, Bella. Um, but what this means is that she's now hearing less of Edward's voice in her head, presumably because riding her motorcycle is now less dangerous. Um, as a result, she's been seeking other ways to increase her proximity to danger or recklessness or whatever, which is super cute. Wait, Um, so does, (laughs) I have a question about this part, actually. Yeah. So, do you think, like, it's Bella's subconscious idea of how much danger they're in, or do you think that like the voice legitimately knows when she's in danger? Is it like some no, sort it's of like absolutely sixth sense? It's a sixth. Because I like the like, idea that like if she put on a helmet, the voice would go away. No, no. I mean, I like the idea that like she's like I don't know. She's driving. Maybe she's like texting or something. She looks or she looks away for a second. No, she like one tree hill like drops her ice cream and then is like leaning down to get the ice cream. And then, like, a whatever, a car is coming, and she can't see the car, so she doesn't know she's in danger, but the voice can see the car and know she's in danger. <laughs> and is like, Bella, there's a car coming. And she's like, oh shit, I'm in trouble. I want it to be, like, actual, not her impression of how much danger she's in, but I want it to be, like, an but actual, like, actual, like, God voice that is, like, <laughs> I know what's going on, I will protect you. That would be... I feel like that would be much more interesting. Yeah, okay. That would make Bella a much Swan more compelling story. doesn't have auditory hallucinations. She just has magic powers. Like, <laughs> that would work. be a way better story. This is so much more boring than that. Anyway. This is just Bella being a dumb bitch. But, listen, I, I, gotta, I gotta bring the mood down for a second. Because it is at this point 
dear listeners, and with deepest regret that I must share with all of you no. that Jacob Black, our once golden retriever pup, has revealed himself to be just as upsettingly unconcerned with boundaries as every other fucking man in this book. He shows up <sighs> to hang out with Bella on what he reminds her, apropos of fucking nothing, is Valentine's Day, and box of conversation hearts in hand, he asks her if she'll be his Valentine because, and I quote, it's... Since you didn't get me a 50 cent box of candy, it's the least you can do. And although it truly pains me to do this, I do believe that for the first time ever, Jacob Black has given us our red flag of the week. Yeah, it was a big bummer. I mean, at least, and I'm not making actual excuses, but at least he's like 16 and not 94 and can hopefully... Hopefully is still at a good learning process. Like, I'm hoping that, like, he listens to our podcast and learns. You know? I, that's what I want. That's my but greatest hope for anyways, Jacob Black. several thoughts here. Um, one, conversations hearts, conversation hearts, rather, are way worse. Way worse than chocolate. Why would you go conversation hearts? Like, if you actually want to get this girl, why are you giving her conversation hearts? Mm-mm. Chalk. Uh, B. Bitch, she doesn't owe you anything. Bella even acknowledges how uncomfortable this is. She says that Jacob's words were teasing, but only on the surface, and then explicitly says, I was trying to think of some ways to make the boundaries clear. Again. They seem to get blurred a lot with Jacob, which was such a bummer. She is explicitly stating that the boundaries that she has tried to set with him around their friendship are something that he seems to either like willfully misunderstand or ignore. And Bella even tries to take an opportunity in this moment to set a boundary with Jacob by telling him that she has other plans when he asks her to hang out on Friday. She says that she's planning to go to the movies with Mike. But she backtracks as soon as she sees that he's disappointed, which is why I would like to take this opportunity to remind Bella and all of us that we are not fucking responsible for people's emotional responses to our boundary setting, and that the only people who react negatively to us establishing boundaries are the people who seek to benefit from us not having them in the first place. Like, yes, sometimes when someone says, oh, sorry, I have other plans, you might look bummed for a second, but, like, or the person might look bummed for a second, but... One, if that person is actually doing anything to make you feel bad other than, like, we can't help it, people have reactions, but if that person is not just, like, taking a step back and going, okay, that's my shit, I'll deal with that later, that's fine, I respect what you just said, if someone's not doing that, you don't fucking owe them anything. And also- Absolutely, it is a normal reaction to, like, be bummed that someone can't hang out with you. And also, a reminder- just because someone's going to feel bad about something doesn't always mean the action itself is bad. Like, right. you, I understand that, like, it's really hard for a lot of us to be, like, to set a boundary or to say no because you're like, well, that's going to hurt that person. But the thing is, is that you're not hurting that person. Like, that person might be upset, but that doesn't but mean you that- you are not actively imparting that hurt upon them. Like, you are doing nothing wrong and, like, you- you choosing to do something that you're not comfortable with is just hurting yourself. Yes. And so, like, you can't exchange your hurt for, like, someone else's like that. Like, you deserve... You are the sun. Anyway. You are the sun. He's dreamy, but he is not the sun. You are. Christina Yang was right, bitch. 
Oh, so Bella goes to school the next day because I guess she still goes to high school. Um, and she makes plans with Mike to go to the movies. Mike once again tries to turn it into a date despite the fact that Bella has made it clear to him approximately a billion fucking times that she's not interested. Thanks again for tuning into All Human Men Are Inexplicably In Love With Bella Swan, the podcast. Um, everyone else that they invite to this movie bails because Bella tries really hard to get all of her other friends to come to this movie so that she doesn't have to be alone with Mike, uh, but everybody else bails. So it just ends up being her <laughs> and Mike and Jacob. Which is so um, Also, Bella specifically chooses an action movie. Mike tries to get them to see a rom-com instead. I got bored just saying that sentence out loud. Um, mm-hmm. On the day that they're actually going to the movie, Jacob shows up at Bella's house and he continues to traverse boundaries. Like, he holds Bella's hand without asking He seems to get jealous when Mike shows up and makes some snide comment about how he doesn't like Mike because Mike likes Bella. Oh, God. What he he says is like, isn't that that guy who thought he was your boyfriend? And I was like, in my notes, I was like, says the guy who thinks that he's Bella's boyfriend currently. Literally, constantly. It's wild. Um, And then the other thing that he does is he makes this truly fucking alarming comment about how sometimes persistence pays off. And bless Bella, who responds with most of the time, it's just annoying, though. (laughs) Um, But the next couple of pages as they drive to the movie literally just comprise of Jacob and Mike swinging their fucking dicks around passive aggressively fighting over Bella's attention. And it's honestly so dumb and boring that I have nothing else to say about it except for really? This bitch? This bitch? This one. But also, like, as if they're bringing much to the table. Well, it's not true. Jacob, up until this chapter, was bringing a lot to the table. And then he just fucking went. fucking ruin it. He was like, up, 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 great, great. It was all downhill from when he stopped wearing helmets. It's true. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what it This was. is what happens when you don't wear a helmet. No. This is what happens. You, you hit your head and you turn into a fucking misogynist. Anyways... So, there is literally so much toxic garbage in this scene of the movies that we- I don't even know how to cover it all. So, like, here's a highlight reel. So, the first thing is that uh, when talking about Jacob, Bella says, How was I ever going to fight the blurring lines in our relationship when I enjoyed uh, being with him so much? Bella! It's called friendship. Sweetie. Baby. Please go to therapy. Like, please. Please. And then both Jacob and Mike spend the whole first half of the movie sitting in the classic, arm outstretched, palm-facing upper position, and honestly, Bella's kind of savage about it, and I love it. She says, I folded my arms tightly across my chest and hope that both their hands fell asleep. <laughs> which I- She's like, fuck you for trying to hold my hand. Which I love. It also reminds me of the time that my friend- invited me over to watch a movie and it was like me sitting between him and his roommate and they both were trying like under the blanket were both like trying to hold my hand and I at one point was I don't even remember it I wouldn't doubt knowing me that I was just holding both their hands um (laughs) of course you were I don't actually remember I mean I remember who I hooked up with later but I don't remember the interim I had the worst I wish, I, I, it is a blessing that you all cannot see that I literally just put my face in my palm. (laughs) Oh no. Anyway. Oh, what happens next? Mike leaves the movie after a while, um, 
they think that Bella thinks it's because the gore is too much and it's making him sick. Uh, and Bella and Jacob both follow him out. And Jacob finds him in the bathroom because he like runs in there and then proceeds to say a bunch of fucked up like hegemonic masculine bullshit about how Mike's a marshmallow and how Bella should hold out for someone with a stronger stomach. Someone who laughs at the gore that makes weaker men vomit because they were like laughing in the movie together, Bella and Jacob. And like, I know he's a little bit joking. But he is mostly not joking because Mm -mm. he's also using this as a way to tell Bella that he is the man she should be interested in. Once again, ignoring the boundaries she has tried to set. Yes. And speaking of ignoring boundaries, here is the big thing that happened on this movie date. As Bella and Jacob are sitting in the hallway waiting for Mike the Snowflake to exit the bathroom, Bella and Jacob... Bella says that Jacob looked like he was thinking about blurring more lines, which is in and of itself a fucking horrifying sentence. And sure enough, he then puts his arm around her. She leans away and then he grabs her hand and holds her wrist, essentially locking her in place physically. Hard fucking yikes, man. He then proceeds to ask if she if she likes him. She says yes. Then he asks. Better than the other, better than the Joker puking his guts out in there? And she says, yes, again. And then he asks, better than any of the other guys you know? And Bella says, better than the girls too, which I thought was great. Yeah, I um, was like, oh, bye queen. <laughs> bye queen, bye queen Bella's one. But then Jacob says, but that's all. And Bella makes a point that when he says that's all, it's a statement and not a question, signaling to us once again that Jacob knows that Bella is not interested in a relationship beyond friendship. Bella, however, again, is worried about hurting his feelings. And I will say that it should be noted that she's not worried about hurting his feelings because she cares, but she's worried that he'll start avoiding her and she wouldn't be able to stand that. Honestly, these two fucking deserve each other. Um... Jacob, however, seems completely unbothered by this confirmation and says that it's fine as long as she likes him best and thinks he's a hottie because he's not because because he is going to be, in his words, annoyingly persistent, which in case we have not yet made this clear on this fucking podcast, this is not what you fucking do when somebody tells you that they are not interested in you. Nope. I feel like. I feel like we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about the really egregious and obvious ways that this book contributes to rape culture, but this is one of the subtler ones, and it is just as fucked up. It is, and especially, like, I guess we have to wait and see to see how, because I don't remember, like, how it's framed, because it's a little insidious here. Like, I I was comparing this section a lot to um, the show Everything Sucks. Have you watched it? Mm-mm. So it's like pretty similar to this kind of vibe where like the main character likes this girl and then the girl is like actually I'm gay and he's like oh well they're they're already dating and then she's reveals that she's gay and then he's like oh well like I can keep pretending to be your boyfriend uh, so you don't have to like you know be out if you don't want to because you don't want to be out yet and then everyone will think you're straight and I'll just be fake, but he, like, likes her and, like, keeps blurring the lines between their fake relationship and their real one. And then, you know, mm. and she's like, fucking quit it. <laughs> like, like this isn't what it is. Like, I've already told you a million times. And, like, but in that show, like, it ends kind of, you know, like, there's a, it ultimately climaxes in a time where she, like, lays into him about it and is like, you need to stop it. This isn't, like, real. This is what you're doing to me. You're being selfish. Like, you need to respect my boundaries. And so, like, it's framed in that show as, like, his actions are negative. And he's, like, learning from 
this experience. And I don't Whereas, know that that's the framing that they use in this. I feel yeah, because like that's the difference. They're like, yeah. teenage boys are just persistent. Like, it's fucked. Yeah, because like, that's it's normalized. Yeah, because that's the difference. Like, you can have characters that act badly in a book and the book isn't necessarily bad but it depends on the framing of those actions mm-hmm. like are they framed mm-hmm. in a way where the reader is meant to leave with the idea that that is negative or is it like edward and jacob where their bad behaviors are framed as positive yeah and that only upon years of therapy and life experience do you realize that they're fucked <laughs> uh years of therapy life experience and a very expensive master's degree uh, so Bella responds by saying that she isn't going to change, uh, but does note the sadness in her own voice. And Jacob suddenly becomes thoughtful and asks if this is about the other one, careful to avoid Edward's name, because Jacob is surprisingly attentive and observant for someone who cannot take a fucking hint in the situation. Um, but before she can answer, he says that she doesn't have to talk about it, because uh, he can see that she's like uncomfortable. Um, now, apparently, he can see that she's uncomfortable. Um... But also says, don't get mad at me for hanging around, okay? Because I'm not giving up. I've got loads of time. And I'm going to read Bella's response out loud, honestly, uh, which I feel like we're doing probably a lot of in this chapter. But like... But it's... it's. I feel like this is the chapter in which it makes sense to do that because Bella's reactions are like... They, they stand on their own, I think. I agree. So um, she thinks... Well, no, she says, um, you shouldn't waste it on me, I said. Though I wanted him to, especially if he was willing to accept me the way I was. Damaged goods, as is. This, this just makes me so sad. Like, Bella really views herself as damaged because of her relationship with Edward and is so desperate for any kind of love and care that she's willing to maintain a friendship with someone who at times makes her actively deeply uncomfortable. Yep. So Jacob responds by saying that it's what he wants to do as long as Bella wants him around, which she says uh, that she absolutely does, but that she doesn't want him to expect more. And she like tries to pull her hand away from his, but he doesn't let go. And he asks the grossly leading question, this doesn't really bother you, does it? And Bella says no. And as people privy to her thoughts, we know that she isn't lying exactly, uh, she does genuinely like it, but as she goes on to explain, it makes her uncomfortable because it means something different to him than it does to her. So, like, yeah, she likes the act of holding his hand, but that doesn't matter because she doesn't like the context of it. And, like, you you know, like, things are more than just, like, do you like it? That's not how, like, consent works. Like, um, and he tells her that that's his problem, not hers, which is just so tiring. And I will say that no matter what someone says in situations like this, it never works like that. Not ever. Um, But Bella agrees to this for now, and I'm worried about her, but what the fuck else is new? Um, So at this point, Jacob notices the scar from where James bit Bella on her hand, because she's holding her hand, and he asks her about it. And Bella is surprised to find that she doesn't break down at being presented with a question so loaded with reminders of Edward. Um, She does, like, shut the conversation down. She doesn't want to talk about it, but it also doesn't emotionally destroy her in the way that she thought it would. Um, But she does note that Jacob's presence is probably the thing that's, like, helping keep her together. Um, And before she can be pressed on the issue of the scar, Mike stumbles out of the bathroom. Yeah. um, But before I move on, though, I do want to comment, because I know we're talking a lot about their relationship whenever. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, her thoughts versus what she's saying out loud. Um, but, I, so reading this section, this chapter in general, some of it 
which we haven't talked about yet, some of it, which we already have. I, I really struggle to, f- struggle to figure out how Bella actually feels about Jacob. Like, Jacob is definitely not listening to her and should be, but as a reader who can hear her thoughts in addition to what she's saying out loud, I'm not convinced that Bella doesn't truly like Jacob as more than friends. And yes. And I think that after getting out of such a manipulative relationship and consistently being told how she feels and how she should feel about a person, because Edward was always trying to control that, being like, no, this is like what you should feel or this is what you should feel. Bella is not capable of parsing out her own feelings, which frankly is something that I definitely relate to. Like, to get like mega vulnerable for a minute, I just want to like take a moment to touch on some aspects of abuse and like what it you know, like, kind of does for you, or at least in my own experiences. So, like, I have experienced a lot of abuse and manipulation since I was very young, and almost all of it at the hands of someone who I was, you know, who I thought I could trust. Uh, And, like, honestly, uh, much of it was, like, sexual-based. And I have to say, it has absolutely devastated my ability to figure out, like, how the hell I feel about people particularly people who show romantic or sexual interest in me. And, like, similarly to Bella, and, like, I kind of recognize that this might sound like a humble brag, but, like, trust me when I say it is anything but, it sometimes feels like every time I meet someone new, at least with men, that they are, like, just really focused on fucking me. And it's difficult to, like, feel like anyone just wants to be pals. And so much like how Bella's experiencing, like, her relationships with people. And so, like, this attention combined with, like, my history of abuse makes it, like, so hard to figure out how I feel about anyone. Like, do I like them like that? Or do I just feel kind of worthless and feel like I don't deserve to set boundaries? Am I interested? Or do I just want to be friends and I'm afraid that if I don't at least let them believe that there's a chance that they'll leave me? And, like, honestly, I often can't tell. And I feel like Bella can't either. And so I wish that Jacob would just back off and give her space that she has requested out loud uh, to process her own feelings. Because um, like, even if she does like him, she needs time and space to like figure that out, and he should be respecting what she's asking for, even if he like can read her body language and see that maybe she wants something more. That doesn't matter if she said, like, no, I need space. And I wish that Jacob would make it clear that he is okay with being her friend, even if it never turns out to be anything more. Not that he's just waiting around just in case. And so, like, this whole dynamic is just so reminiscent of so many relationships and quote-unquote friendships that I've had that it made this chapter, like, viscerally upsetting because it honestly felt just very honest. Yeah, this, like, there are so many parts of this chapter that felt genuinely difficult to read um, because they actually capture a lot of the emotional wreckage that we're left with in the wake of abuse and manipulation and... I think that's actually the first time that I felt that way reading these books as an adult. Like, I, don't, I, I think this is the first time that I genuinely had, like, a, like you said, like a visceral emotional reaction to a lot of what Bella is talking about. Because I think this is the first time that Stephanie Meyer actually gets it right. And that was... I feel upsetting. like it's been happening more so in this book that she has gotten elements, right? Because I know we had that part earlier, I think it was in this book, where you were talking about how she literally hits, like, every single every, thing for, like, Yes, I, yeah. like, doing a close reading, I was able to verifiably diagnose Bella Swan with an acute traumatic stress disorder. So, and so I feel like maybe Stephanie Meyer did a little bit more research about 
trauma and abusive relationships and manipulation before writing this book. Or again, I'm very nervous for her. Like, I can't figure out if I need to give Stephanie Meyer, like, a hug and a card for a therapist, or, like, if I'm just, like, I don't know. I don't want to get too much into, I don't know much about her, to be honest. (laughs) Um, Um, But, so... What happens after this awful conversation is that Mike comes out of the bathroom, Jacob grabs a popcorn bucket for all of his vomit, which I will say, as somebody that used to work concession at a movie theater, I've seen this happen. I've seen it happen before. Um, So he grabs a popcorn bucket for Mike's vomit. They leave and they drive home. And Jacob puts his arm around Bella in the car and she notices that his skin is super hot while Mike throws up in the back of the car, which again is a detail that will never show up in this book ever again. Um, as they're driving home in a moment that I know will shock all of us, Bella finally acknowledges that she's being selfish, but she does it in honestly what is the most heartbreaking way possible. Um, she says that it was wrong to encourage Jacob and that if he had any feeling, if he felt any hope that they could be more than friends, that she hadn't been clear enough. Can I actually read this part out loud? Cause it like fucking killed me. Yeah, please. So Bella says in her head, um, how could I explain so that he would understand? I was an empty shell, like a vacant house, condemned. For months I'd been utterly uninhabitable. Now I was a little improved. The front room was in better repair, but that was all. Just the one small piece. He deserved better than that. Better than a one-room falling-down fixer-upper. No amount of investment on his part could put me back in working order. It is, like... This abusive relationship has literally crippled Bella's sense of self-worth in a way that was so painful for me to read because it feels so familiar to me as somebody who works with survivors of interpersonal sexual and relationship violence. Like, Bella is convinced that the loss of this relationship with Edward has damaged her to the point that she is unworthy of love and kindness. Like, she literally says that it is not worth Jacob's time to try and be with her because she is this damaged, uninhabitable, condemned house. And it's so sad. Um, And she even says that she feels selfish keeping him around because she knows that she needs him. And then even briefly has a thought that she should make her side more clear so that he would know to leave her. And again, these thoughts of self-sabotage and destroying what is arguably the one good thing in her life right now are coming from a place of intense grief and trauma and loss. And it's so sad. And I say this with all the love in the world this time, but Bella, please go to therapy. Like, for real, please go to therapy. As someone who has gone to therapy for these exact fucking thoughts and feelings, please, God, just go. I promise it will help. So when they get back to the house... Bella drives Mike home in his Suburban, and Jacob follows so he can get her right back. And once they get back to Bella's, Jacob says that he would invite himself in, but now he's not feeling too great either, and says that maybe Bella was right by saying he had a fever when she, like, felt how hot he was in the car. And so before he leaves, he stops Bella and says to her that he knows that she's unhappy a lot, and that he's always there for her, and that she can count on him. And the scene is contrasted so starkly in really, like relation to all of her conversations with edward um so like he grabs her lightly like just enough to stop her unlike edward who's constantly like grabbing her restraining restraining her her. and it's like careful to mention in the book that he like just lightly grabs her like she could get her hand away 
Which the fact that he even needs to reference that is, like, upsetting. Because, like, Stephanie Meyer has created a situation where she needs to specify how hard is someone grabbing her. Um, so he tells her that he cares, and it, like, actually seems, seems sincere. And he actually, like, pays attention to her and her feelings. And he doesn't just sit in silence making her question what's going on, like some other people we know do. And I mean, I know he's done a lot of gross shit in this chapter. And so, like, this doesn't make up for that. But this moment, just standalone is so very different than with Edward. It's, like, very much so a foil. Um, And her response to his confession, so to speak, uh, is to tell him that she already knows that and counts on him more than he knows. And again, I just want to read from the chapter directly uh, for what it said next, which we're doing so much of. Um, The smile broke across his face the way the sunrise set the clouds on fire, and I wanted to cut my tongue out. I hadn't said one word that was a lie, but I should have lied. The truth was wrong. It would hurt him. I would let him down. Again, like we said earlier, just because you set boundaries to someone and it might hurt them does not mean that you were wrong to set boundaries. That you were wrong to do it or that you are doing something actively at them. Like, um, like this this part wrecked me, though. It was awful i this was genuinely difficult for me to read when i got to the part where she said i wanted to cut my tongue out i was just like ugh. like i actually had like a very i think i had the reaction for an incredibly different reason that i had as a teenager Mm -hmm. but like i still had maybe nearly as strong of one like that legitimately like oof it hurt yeah it felt awful um so jacob leaves and she asks him to call her uh when he gets home and then the next page and a half or so has just, like, so much content. Like, I'm I'm struggling not to just read it out loud to you. Um, it's all Bella reflecting on her relationship with Jacob. So first Bella says um, that she wishes that Jacob Black had been born her flesh and blood brother so that she would have some legitimate claim on him that still left her free of any blame now. She says that she didn't want to use him, but that she knows that she has. And I was so wigged out by this part on it's really so many weird. levels like one that she says this about someone she's been sexualizing a lot is pretty weird because yes. she like con- she does this a couple times like she did that earlier too when like mike was like oh are those the people you've been studying a lot with earlier and she's like oh haha more like tutoring they're sophomores and i'm like one you're acting like you're hanging out with multiple people and you're not and two why do you refer to him as like so young when every other time you're like wow he's really hot um, and then she does the same thing here. But way more so, the idea that you can have legitimate claim over someone, even if they are a relative. Like, you cannot have claim, you don't have claim over someone. You don't, you can't claim another human being. Like, I hate the idea that my brother has claim over me. Like, uh-huh. I hate it a lot. Like, like I don't know what she means by that. I don't know. It's um, fucked, though. Like, she means, like, something, like, a stake in him, like, you can't leave. I, I think that is what she means. I think she 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 wants to feel like she can keep him around without guilt, which is fucked. Um, and also as and, if, and, yeah, like as if you can't lose your privileges with your family, like right. it's fucked. Um. So what next? Bella finally takes a moment to acknowledge the guilt that she feels for essentially using Jacob, which is a moment of character growth a little bit, I guess. But what she says about this is honestly kind of devastating and I don't even care for essentially a book on tape at this point I think it might just be best to read what she says about herself right from the text because I cannot paraphrase it and do it justice 
So something I never thought I would say about Stephanie Meyer. I cannot paraphrase it and do it justice. I know. The bar is so low that finally that we're getting like readable content. We're like, oh my God. Um, but so so what Bella says here is that she's she starts by saying that she feels guilty about using Jacob. And then she says, even more, I had never meant to love him. One thing I truly knew, knew it in the pit of my stomach, in the center of my bones. Knew it from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet. Knew it in my deep, empty chest was how love gave someone the power to break you. I'd been broken beyond repair. But I needed Jacob now. Needed him like a drug. I'd used him as a crutch for too long, and I was in deeper than I'd planned to go with anyone again. Now I couldn't bear for him to be hurt, and I couldn't keep from hurting him either. He thought time and patience would change me, and though I knew he was dead wrong, I also knew that I would let him try. He was my best friend. I would always love him and it would never, ever be enough. And I, reading this, I feel really similarly to what you mentioned feeling earlier and that this part really makes me wonder whether Bella is genuinely uninterested in Jacob or if she's distancing herself from him and Mm -hmm. not allowing herself to consider the possibility of anything other than a friendship. Like, she really... Like, when she says, like, I wanted him to try, I feel so good around him, like, it makes me think that there is actually something there for her and that she is choosing not to pursue it or not allowing herself to acknowledge that feeling, partially for protective reasons, right? Because Mm -hmm. she says, because of her abusive relationship with Edward, that for Bella, love is now synonymous with being vulnerable to harm, right? She says, like, love gives somebody the power to break you. Um, but I also wonder if part of that for her, like part of this is some feeling that she doesn't want to disrespect or cheat on Edward's memory and that she could never entertain the possibility of a relationship with anyone ever again, regardless of what her real feelings for Jacob are. It's like as if he died. Like the way that, the way that Edward broke up with her and just like removed himself completely from her life including pictures and everything and then just disappeared and she has no idea if he's alive or dead again it's all yeah. this ambiguous grief right and i've you know i've actually i've been thinking about ambiguous this a lot loss in the last rather couple of days like it, ambiguous loss because so something my therapist said actually made me think of this which is like she was talking about how breakups are besides death the only like ending to a relationship in which we very often like never see the other person ever again or talk to them ever again or like know what's going on in their life and we go from having somebody be this really like important meaningful presence in our life to just like not having them there at all anymore and like when we talked about ambiguous loss around like how Bella is experiencing this breakup like that is what that made me think of especially when you said that the way that she talks about his memory and this relationship with him really does feel like she's talking about his death mm-hmm. it really does so yeah it's upsetting so anyways so Bella waits a while for Jacob to call her to tell uh her that he got home safe um, but he doesn't call, and so she calls Billy. And so when he finally picks up, Billy tells her, sorry, Jacob's too busy being a werewolf to come to the phone right now. Um, Spoilers! Sorry, I'm just kidding. He says, uh, Jacob's hella sick and he's definitely not a werewolf, so, like, don't even ask. <laughs> it's not what's happening at all. 
So Bella, in an act of genuine kindness that shocks us all, um, offers to go down to the push to help. But Be- uh, Billy's like, no, fuck it. Fuck no. Get out of here. Don't come here. Stay away. Um, so then Bella's tricking with whatever illness apparently took Mike and Jake. Uh, and Spaz literally, she calls him Jake a lot in the book, by the way. We don't call him Jake much when we talk out loud, but she calls him Jake a lot in the book. She does. So, anyways, so she spends literally the whole day in the bathroom, which is unfortunate for her, considering all of her toiletries are still in her room. Um, so, luckily, uh, Bella, though, (laughs) is so regimented that she has the flu for exactly 24 hours to the minute. Like, in the book, she's like, ah, the clock struck whatever. My flu is over. Eight hours left. Because she heard that Mike was better after, like, he's like, oh, it must have been, like, a 24-hour thing. And she's like, ah, yes, that I have only 24 hours to experience this. And then it's like, yes, the the clock has struck 12 and I am better now. So, um, but once she feels better, you know, she calls Jacob and she's like, well, he has to be better now. It's already been 24 hours. (laughs) Um, uh, but he is apparently not recovered. Uh, and he tells her that he doesn't seem to have the same thing that she does because he is a werewolf. Um, just kidding. Um, and that he's miserable and in pain from all the hair growing out of him and the, like, body transformation. Um, but tells her, like Billy did, that she absolutely cannot come to see him, uh, until he calls her back. And then the chapter ends. Uh, yeah. And that's about it. And I think, okay, so before we talk about our favorite parts, though, I do think, um, that I would like to spend some time, uh, just talking about boundary setting. Yes, it's time to bring back social work concept of the week, and this week it is boundaries. Because it's so important, and honestly, I don't think people think about it this way, but it is a learned skill. Yes. yes. It is a skill. So I'd really love to cap this chapter with some reminders and suggestions. So I'm going to start by, like, just an, with an overview of the different kinds of boundaries. So in general... When we talk about boundaries, there are sort of three different categories of boundaries that we think about, rigid, porous, and healthy. So we often set really rigid boundaries when we're trying to protect ourselves from harm or rejection. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with this, especially when it's something that we learn how to do to keep ourselves safe, but it can also make it really hard for us to engage in meaningful relationships with others. So rigid boundaries can look like an avoidance of intimacy and close relationships or being unwilling to reach out to others for help and support. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, porous boundaries look like having difficulty saying no to others, feeling dependent on the opinions of others, or fearing rejection or isolation if we don't comply with what others want from us. Um, It can also look like oversharing and feeling hurt and rejected when others can't meet our expectations. Um, So what we want to aim for when we're setting boundaries is this place in the middle where we can establish and maintain healthy boundaries. So this is what it looks like when we make decisions that feel aligned with our own values rather than the values of others. Um, And in the kind of therapy that I practice, which is acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT, we call this committed action. We're committing to taking actions towards our values. So having healthy boundaries looks like self-awareness of our personal wants and needs. So again, having sort of like an awareness of what our values are and an ability to clearly communicate those wants and needs with other people. Um, It also looks like an acceptance of other people's boundaries and not feeling like our sense of self-worth is tied to others' acceptance and rejection of us. 
Um, and if it feels helpful, what I can do is actually tweet the link to a handout that I use about different kinds of boundaries with clients a lot because I actually think that it's a super great resource and reminder for all of us. So I will put that on the Twitter. Yeah. So like just going over some elements of that, like thinking about it from like the Twilight perspective. So like you could really see how um, I feel like Bella displays both porous and rigid boundaries depending on who you're absolutely. talking about it with because absolutely and i think that that's a really important point that you're making is that many of us have different kinds of boundaries with different people because like for instance with jacob she very clearly has very porous boundaries like she's one mm-hmm. like, and that comes from multiple elements so it's both like in her unwillingness to like set clearly set the boundaries like because she doesn't super know what she wants like so kind of going into this idea of like a self-awareness of her personal wants and needs like she has like some trouble like parsing those out and like really figuring out like what is kind of like a maybe a base instinct and like versus what actually makes her feel like good and safe and secure and also um and then another element of that too from her perspective is like she doesn't have a good um currently a very good ability of communicating them at times like there are times where we see her set very clear boundaries but then she almost always undoes that or um or just doesn't communicate them at all and only thinks about it in her head and then is confused when people out loud have no idea what's going on because she will think oh in my head i've made this decision but if she hasn't told the other person like they're not mind readers and if they're not actively checking in with her which they should be because we should all be actively checking in with our friends and our loved ones um and just acquaintances then um she's you know they're not gonna know so yeah and she does get actively upset when people don't seem to understand what her wants and needs are despite her inability to communicate them um and then i think when we're thinking about bella having really rigid boundaries we see that a lot sort of with charlie right Mm -hmm. where she will not communicate with him what she is feeling or why she is feeling the way that she is feeling or what she needs from him she does not let him into her life at all she refuses to ask him for support um, and also the way that so, she constantly is like, I need to cook for him. This is my role for him. This is what I do. Mm-hmm. And every time he does anything that like steps outside of what she perceives to be the boundaries of the relationship, she is very adamant to be like, that is wrong. That is incorrect. That is not mm-hmm. how this should be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on a little bit, I also want to remind you all that it is okay and healthy to set boundaries. Yes. But also remember, boundary setting, like most things in interpersonal relationships, is a process that requires maintenance. Remember to check in with yourself and others to make sure that boundaries you set still feel safe and comfortable for everyone involved. It's totally normal for you to change your mind about what you are and are not comfortable with as you move on. Like, situations and our feelings change. Just be- yes, boundaries are flexible. Yeah, just because you set... Um, a boundary at one point doesn't mean that you're stuck with that for the rest of your life. Like you can communicate again if your feelings change. Um, Mm -hmm. Having open communication about your needs should be part of an ongoing conversation in any relationship with friends, with partners, with anyone you're having any sort of like meaningful relationship with. You should be able to have these conversations. I think sometimes people think of them as like, this is something for just like a partner and this is not a conversation mm-hmm. you need to have with other people, but really it's something that's important and needs to be addressed in all types of relationships. Yes. All healthy relationships should include some element of boundary setting. Um, and I said this earlier, but I will say it again. You are not responsible for someone's emotional response to your decision to set boundaries with them. 
boundary setting can at times come with some guilt and that's okay because as humans, we are not socialized to set boundaries with people. And so it is normal to experience a little bit of guilt, not that you should have anything, not that you have anything that you should feel guilty for, but that experience of guilt when your boundary setting is normal. And what I want to say is that it is okay to experience that guilt and set boundaries anyway. We can experience that feeling and still do the thing that feels right and healthy for us. So it's okay to be mindful of your feelings. It's important to be mindful of your feelings, but try to let your values guide your actions where you can. And then, of course, on the other end, too, it can feel scary and uncomfortable when someone sets boundaries with you. Sometimes you might feel, you know, it's hard not to take things personally sometimes, but no matter what you're feeling, it is important to first and foremost respect what the person is saying and asking of you. It is absolutely yes. essential, no matter how you are feeling about it. Like, if someone's expressing a boundary, you need to think about that and you need to respect it. And if you find yourself feeling really reactive to people setting boundaries with you pretty consistently, like, that might be something to explore. Like, what is that about? Go talk to a therapist about it. That's what we're here for. Um, so what is your favorite part of the chapter? I will say that I fucking love everyone's reasons for not being able to go to the movie. So, like, everybody fucking bails on this movie with Bella and Mike and Jacob. Um, and everyone's reasons for not going are really funny. So Quill was supposed to go and apparently was grounded for fighting at school, which, side note, I would like to I, know more I about. I want to know about that. I was like, fighting like, who? Fighting why? Like, yes, he seems like know. not a fighter. I'm, I was very thrown off by that. Yeah, I have said before, and I will say again, that I want like a spinoff about Jacob and the the gang on the on the reservation. Like, I want to hear more about it. Um, Anyway, and <laughs> so apparently um, two characters who I forgot existed, Eric and Katie, um, <laughs> their excuse for not coming to the movies um. Bella says it was their three-week anniversary or something, and that made me laugh out loud because, like, A, that's so deeply high school to miss something for your three-week anniversary. Um, And also, it made me think of all the dumb excuses I've used to get out of shit that I didn't want to go to. Um, And definitely the one that I use most often and way past the age that it's appropriate is, sorry, my mom said I can't. (laughs) All the time. So... I st- What's your favorite well, I, part? Remember that time that I tweeted something like, um, I'm sorry, uh, wait, fuck, what was it? It was like, so how did, no, it was you going, sorry, my mom says I can't hang out with people with bad eyebrows. That was... <laughs> 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 yeah, wow. Um, so, mine, I have two. The first one's only funny in the context of, um, if you watch Wizard People, if you've watched Wizard People Dear Reader. Um, and it's because Bella... Which, if you haven't, what are you doing? Watch Wizard People, Dear Reader. Is- Pause this fucking podcast and go listen to Brad Neely's magnum opus. <laughs> oh my god. So, Wizard People, Dear Reader. At what point, uh, they're playing music in the car or whatever. Or no, they're not playing music in the car. And Mike's like, um, can we put on some music? And Jacob's like, Bella doesn't like music. <laughs> and Bella's like, oh my god, I can't believe he noticed. I never even told him. <laughs> And I don't know how he knows this, but I like to imagine it's because he knows that she tore the radio out of her it's car. Like, and out of this fifteen-year-old boy is like, "Oh, she must not like music." Um, <laughs> so, anyways, so she's just she's like, "Bella doesn't like music," and all I could think was, 
magicless, music-hating muggles. <laughs> but my other favorite part is that, again, Jacob is not 17, so Bella, so he, like, gives Bella his money, and she's like, why are you giving me this? And he's like, I'm not old enough to see this movie. And Bella Swan has to sneak her pet into the movies. <laughs> she puts that puppy right in her jacket. <laughs> so, okay, you know what? <laughs> Fuck it. This podcast has not gone that long. I'm going to read you some Sonic fan fiction. Oh, God. Okay, so this is what they put... So what they put into oh. the the generator is wait and by they who posted this fuck give me a second sorry everybody I have to find the original the original uh I will say also that yeah, when you said we've not been going that long we have been recording for a full hour so yeah but part of it's full not hour that. after a full hour of this podcast. <laughs> We are now subjecting our sweet listeners to Sonic the Hedgehog. It's not a full hour because there was at least ten minutes where I was telling you about how some guy I used to fuck wanted, or like wanted you. Great. <laughs> well, all right. Read read the Sonic fiction, please. Maybe I'll I can't edit believe that I part that. out. Okay, I won't. <laughs> I'm way too lazy. Okay, it was Jakey Pooh. I need to stop referring to that way, but that's like you know. That's uh, that's his handle on everything. I guess I could just call him Jake or Jakey. I don't know. Uh, Jake Jake or Jakey or Jakey Poo. How should I fucking refer to you? Thanks. Anyways. <laughs> so he put into the bot, the talktotransformer.com bot, Bella Swan and Sonic stared longingly at each other. She felt attracted to Sonic's deeply blue fur. Uh, but can't stop thinking about her true love, Shadow. One day, he may return. Which, first of all, that means that Jake wrote that part, which is hysterical. <laughs> so, the next part, the bot-generated part, goes, When he does, Sonic can become your friend. Yes, your mother would love you, Sonic sighed, his heart sinking. Then it's time for me to show you who I am. Sonic smiled. <laughs> giving Twilight his full attention. <laughs> After a warm kiss, she gave him a quick peek into her bedroom. She said, You know how we like to have sex, right? Sonic smiled weakly. The kiss did not go far into her room, but he held his breaths to stay awake. <laughs> no, I'm sure this is my dream, as in the reality. Eyes closed, he sighed as he felt the heat of her body as it moved about his head. <laughs> In a moment, the room would be so intimate, it would become hard to imagine. I just can't seem to hold it in, he sighed, his eyes closing. <laughs> and, then, and then, silent ferrets put in, uh, so this is the part uh, uh, that Silent Ferrets wrote. The Bella the Twilight Hedgehog stared longingly at Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Sonic was distant, beautiful, a cruel angel that almost ran her over as he oh ran, but then turned away at the last minute. What a tease. Bella <laughs> hated him, but she needed him. And then the bot part. I'm going to be the smartest bunny ever. 
Bowel of the Twilight <laughs> Hedgehog proclaimed with a playful giggle. Sonic was looking through the books under the arm uh, when he heard her voice. You are too smart for that, Sonic screamed. <laughs> Sorry, Sonic screamed. You're too smart for that, Sonic screamed. <laughs> he grabbed Bella's hand and started walking away. Bella looked at Sonic but kept walking. Sonic couldn't be distracted and turned around to face his rival. Bella, you are so smart. Bella's laugh was as loud as she was angry. His sister laughed, and then she walked past Sonic. Bella was smiling. I'll prove it to you. There's so much more, y'all. Go on the Discord. I, we There's can't. So we can't much. do it. I'm not doing it. If you want to read the rest of this, so get on the Discord. Get on the Discord. Our Discord is so wild. It is bananas, clearly. Um, <sighs> so... Thanks again for listening to Sonic Twilight Book Club. Um, please follow us on Twitter at STVC Podcast. Uh, also, go to theorangegroves.com and check out some of the other amazing shows on the network. Yeah, I we just... get to work with a bunch of really cool people, so that's nice. Yeah, like, I just binged what we have so far of season two of Interstitial, and I fucking nearly threw my phone across the room when I ran out of episodes because it is so good. <laughs> um, please, again, also... Join the Orange Girls Discord server and come talk to us. It's a party in there 24-7 and you're going to love True. it. All of your favorite people are there. Come join. Meaning me and Katie. Uh, and, <laughs> and and great other people. like the people. And great other people, but mostly us. Yeah. Or, yeah, anyways. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Not mostly us. Mostly everyone. Mostly the Wild Ass Bitch Club, which is the official name for our fans uh, now. Just by the way, that was decided upon uh-huh. in the... In the Discord. We love you. We love you, Wild Ass Bitch Club. We will see you in a couple of weeks. Uh, Bye, baby. Bye. Hello and welcome to Bed Bath and Bionicle, a show where I call Joe my friend at 7 a.m. my time and talk to them about the wonderful world of Bionicle. Let's mm-hmm. go through a quick quiz, Joe. Mm. Um, tell me, any member of the Toamata. Uh, is that the first one? That's the first one. Uh, Kopaka. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, <coughs> Potato. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> there you go, that's two. Taco Nuva. You can find more of this riveting information over at Bed Bath & Bionicle Nirvana. on your local podcast app. <laughs> that's not, it's a band! <laughs> Airing every Monday. Check us out. (laughs) I'm so sleepy.